Want to talk about a new movie? Check. Want to talk about an older movie similar or related to that new movie? Check. That's what you can expect from Quality Check Podcast. It's a new podcast on the Studio DNA Network hosted by yours truly, Drew Douglas and Daniel Posey. Every other Tuesday, we'll talk about a new movie and an old movie to see how the film's quality holds up. At Sif Pop, we're your movie friends. And are friends really friends if you don't know them? So grab a popcorn and head over to our row so we can chat movies like friends do. There's always room for more movie friends. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to the writer's room. Hello and welcome to Sip Pop Writer's Room. I'm your host, Aaron, but not that Aaron, of course. And today I'm joined by Sip Pop writer, Robert. Our number must be very similar to the pound. <laughs> nice. Uh, is that from Eight and a Half? No, that was from uh, oh, okay. Sunset Boulevard. I was just, I didn't, I didn't remember <laughs> that line. When, and I when, just figured uh, it was because Eight and a Half. So I guess spoilers on my thoughts for Eight and a Half. <laughs> no. No, when they when they kept getting thoughts or thoughts when they kept getting calls from someone and uh, the main woman character was like, "Who is it?" and he goes, "Oh, it was, it was someone looking for a lost dog." Our number must be very similar to the pound. Oh, got it, got it. See now, context. Now I know what you're talking about. I'm just yeah. really bad at like remembering specific movie lines, which is weird because like my wife doesn't watch a ton of movies, but she remembers all the little things like. Mm. I'll talk about the G.I. Joe movies later, but she's like, but we were going to watch them because Snake Eyes came out mm-hmm. and we were thinking about going to see it. And now we're like, eh, we'll wait for Paramount Plus for 40 in 45 days um, because the reviews are, aren't great. And they're like, it seems like the action is the worst part of it. And it's like, that's yeah. why you go see a G.I. Joe movie. So we're just going to wait for Paramount Plus since we already have it. But um, but she was we were just like. Yeah, like, uh, I've seen one of them. I'm like, well, which one? She's like, I don't know. I was like, well, did it have Channing Tatum or The Rock? It had Channing Tatum. Okay, it was probably the first one. I was like, there's something about a well and, like, something about somebody crossing their fingers and it had to be one way, not the other. I'm like, I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> she probably remembers, like, the most random little scene and it doesn't really matter. Well, but then it felt some, – a lot of times. But then I felt so stupid because, like, we watched G.I. Joe Retaliation and, like, mm-hmm. it's a – vital part that they jump oh. into a well in the in the in the attack and like when they figure out that the president isn't the president it's because the finger crossing thing so it's like oh so it's like these yeah. should have been like obvious clues but i was just like something about a well i don't know it's probably rise of cobra because i saw that once in 2009 mm-hmm. so um yeah, so she'll just remember the randomest little things, but I'll I I won't until I watch a movie three or four times. So yeah. Um. Anyway, uh, we write and edit for uh providing you movie reviews, best ever challenges, other interesting movie related articles. You know, twentieth century flicks. Uh, One Stop Pop came out recently. Animation Celebration. Out of market, lots of lots of really good stuff going on over there. Uh, so make sure you check out the website to keep up with those. Um, and on today's show, on the podcast, we're going to talk about uh, two coming attractions. We got Jungle Cruise and the Green Knight Man. Like, how weird is it that like it finally feels like there's like not just one but two or three big movies coming out every, every week. week? And like yeah. most of these are doing. I kind of like the strategy that they're doing now, which is like theatrical exclusive for a couple weeks, and then they go to streaming on demand for 20, 20 bucks. Like. I think that's kind of nice. Like, I think the forever purge right now is available. It's like, but it's still in theaters, but people that don't want to go or people that can't go or people that like their theater wasn't showing it. Like it's, it's just weird to be 
to be back in this normal, yeah? Yeah, and there's also a third movie we could be talking about that comes out this this weekend, like the Matt Damon Stillwater movie. That's this weekend? Uh, yeah, that, that's the 30th, so it's going to be a busy weekend at the movie. Well, oh, shoot. not to spoil our coming attraction thoughts, but no, you're completely right. It's like every weekend, it's either... Like, I just want to have plans, just hang out with people. But at the same time, I want to go see all these different movies that are coming out. It's crazy. crazy. I totally didn't know because I thought Stillwater was supposed to come out later. And it just must have gotten lost when I was shifting the schedule around. (laughs) Hey, you want to do three coming attractions this week? Uh, I can talk about it briefly. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, same. I don't even know (laughs) if I've seen the whole trailer. Uh, I have because it's been in every movie theater since theaters were back. Mm. Um, So... Yeah, I don't, I don't see it anywhere here on the schedule. So it must have just got lost, and especially like when we get to like November, like there is just yeah. movies that I'm just that aren't on the schedule, and like you know, it, and then there's other weeks where it's like just the Eternals because nobody's trying to compete with Marvel anymore. <laughs> yeah, uh, that'll be the only time where it's like one big movie this year. Because right. otherwise, well, 007, like Dune, yeah. Right, Dune was well, going actually, up Dune against... just got moved, but it was like last night in Soho and the Wes Anderson movie are all yeah. coming out within like a well, couple of weeks of each last other. Last night in Soho got moved. Did Dune get moved too? I think Dune... I don't know. <laughs> See, here's, here's the thing. I, I saw Dune got moved, but I think it was only like back one week or something or two weeks. All right, whatever. I'll have to... <sighs> this is going to be a nightmare trying to scheduling schedule this out again. But All right, we know Jungle Cruise, The Green Knight, and Stillwater come yeah. out the 30th. Well, that's, that's what it's we like. to know for right now. Well, that's what it's like, you know, especially with streaming becoming popular, like when Infinite came out, like there wasn't even a trailer released like a week before it came out on Paramount Plus. Mm. I think there's reasons for that. But <laughs> is it the Wahlberg one? Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. Didn't care. <laughs> but like it just seems to be like there's a there's a lot of um, um, a, a lot of movies that are just getting shifted around. And so whenever I send out the schedule, like the thing I try to stress the most is like, don't pick a week based off of the coming attraction. Yeah. Like, because it's very likely that it's going to change and almost guaranteed know, at this point, right? Almost change. guaranteed at this point. Um, so man, anyway, so once we're done talking about the three coming attractions, we'll talk about, uh, two goats. And I think this will be good that we'll do two coming, two, three coming attractions. Cause one of these goats, I have very little to say about, um, you say that every week or every month. No, no, I really like, I, one of them I have like, I, so I didn't take notes this week um, mm. because I watched one of the movies this morning. And so that's pretty fresh in my head. And I watched one of the movies last night and that's pretty fresh in my head. But like, I didn't think of anything to say during the movie. So, gotcha. um, or, and like, or like think of any lines to write down or whatnot. So, um, so we'll talk about eight and a half in Sunset Boulevard. Uh, then we'll explore the B plot. Um, since these are both, we're trying to do goats as themes now. Since these are both uh, movies about film industry uh, and filmmakers, uh, we're gonna do our best ever movies about film and filmmakers. Um, so we'll do that, uh, and we're gonna do it Trump rule style, all that. Um, and uh, we'll wrap up with a spinoff, quick, quick Amanda Warren from each one of us. But first. Let's get a chance uh, to reacquaint ourselves with Robert this week. Robert, you've been a lot, doing a lot of stuff recently. You know, launching a YouTube channel, launching a new Rob Socks thoughts, um, and uh, and uh, is the Rob's Red Sox podcast still going? Uh, no, I'm not really in the podcasting game as much, other than this. But I'm definitely writing a lot, doing a lot of YouTube. Um, 
so yeah i'm doing every other thursday on youtube even though i posted on wednesday last week because i thought it was thursday um but it doesn't matter uh yeah and then the rob Sox thoughts is that i have a lot of thoughts on the red Sox, and no one really near me to talk about them all the time so i thought let me just talk to the internet so that's that's going on with that mm. nice yeah um we talked for like 25 minutes on baseball and all things um do red Sox have a chance this year yeah they have the best record in the american league right now oh nice as of this recording on july 23rd nice yeah i know that they had like a, a pretty rough start to the season but they finally well, got their stuff sorted yeah they lost their first three games and then won nine in a row and they kind of haven't looked back since then got it yeah and then uh you know the white Sox got off to a red hot start that's my team and then we had a slump and then we're back to red hot so like yeah I don't know what's going on, but like, this might be our year again, you know? Uh, not if the other color socks have anything to say about it. You know, yeah, I was like, unfortunately, it won't be my team versus your team in the World Series. <laughs> True. The, but, it, uh, but it could be for the for the division. For the American League. Yeah. The, um, the Cleveland baseball team revealed their new name today, and people are all up in arms about it. And then people are making the point that this definitely isn't as bad as the two teams in the league that are named after socks. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, and like, you know, white socks, like, <laughs> yeah, just a plain old tidy whites, you know, <laughs> I don't even wear white socks anymore because they're so bland. Right. And like, I've never seen anybody wear red socks unless they were like, know. you know, detailed. Were they a thing back in the day? <laughs> we'll never know. We'll never know. Um, yeah. And, uh, <laughs> what do you think of the new Indians name, the guardians? I mean, I thought the spiders would have been cool. The guardians just seem like we're at the point with team names that they should be like cool. Yeah. And I feel like the guardians is just like, well, and like something Seattle, I come up with in my NBA 2k league. Well, and like Seattle, um, hockey just had their expansion draft and they had the Kraken and their the Kraken, logo is amazing. Awesome. And it's yeah. like a really sweet name. Like, <laughs> Guardians is nowhere near as cool as that, but as James Gunn tweeted, if their logo isn't a rocket with a rocket launcher or a raccoon with a rocket launcher, and like now if they do anything less, I'm just going to be mad. So it's like a baseball with G wings that look like Thor's helmet thing. Oh, that's what that is. I just saw that, but like didn't see any context. That's the logo that they stupid. (laughs) It is really stupid. (laughs) Oh. All right, whatever. This is why we're not in charge of marketing for baseball teams. Um. (laughs) Even though I should be. Sure, yeah. Let's do it. Um. (laughs) Well, um... Let's do let's let's do this. I, I thought this might be fun. You, I know you released a YouTube video about this, but we're we're halfway through the year. We're at the end of July here, um, and so I thought uh, let's take a halfway look and let's do our top five movies um, of 2021 so far. Now, if you want to say top five movies that have come out after the Oscars, that would be fine. Um, since if a movie was eligible before or released before February, it's it's not or before March, it's eligible. So if you want to go ahead and like exclude. January and February releases. That's fine with me. Or if you want to just go calendar year, that's also fine with me. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll leave that up to you, but your top five movies uh, of this year. Um, yeah. Why don't you, why don't you, uh, why don't you kick us off? We'll do a back and forth. We'll go five to one. Okay. Um, I'm doing anything that had its wide release, whether that's online or in theaters. 
2021. Okay. So Me too. a couple of these were, were contending at the Oscars. Okay. Um, so yeah, my number five is Minari. Do you want me to go into any detail or just like a, like a tweet length would be sure. fine. Minari. I saw it. It was my number one. <laughs> yeah, of course I saw it. It was my number one. As soon as I saw it, um, it's been overtaken obviously by four other movies, but uh, I think it has a lot to say about the nature of humanity and healing and uh, growing with your fellow person. And in this case, specifically your family. Hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. Minari is a good movie. I really liked it. Uh, not on my list. Um, although I think I counted it as like, I don't, I just don't know what to do with release dates this year. Like I think promising young woman was like a Christmas release. Yeah. Like, I don't know if that was wide or limited. And like, so I just like in general, anything that came out like, you know, in <laughs> anywhere near around that, I'm just counting as 2020 for this year. Um, so like yeah. promising young woman and, uh, Minari and the father and all that, like, I don't consider in. 2021 for me is but i you know yeah um weird confusing year for releases like we were talking about yeah yeah i think it would have made my top 10 but not my top five sure um so at my five i have judas and the black messiah Mm. um yeah it's it's incredible and when i saw it it was for sure my number one but like uh, I after rewatching it, I, I I think it's a great movie and a great story and excellent performances um i think that it's just maybe trying to do too much or trying to be two movies and um it's it's not the best version of itself but it's still incredible yeah i had that at number seven so nice um number four i have luca which really surprises me honestly because when i first saw it i was like this is solid middle uh middle of the pack pixar and like like top third of the year but not my favorite but then I, i was writing my review about it and writing about it for my video and the more i was like writing about it and thinking about it the more i liked it um so i just kept pitting it up against the movies i had ahead of it at the time and i settled on number four it's a lot of fun great animation great music um it's really funny uh it's a great watch yeah you like this movie a lot more than i do um this is lower tier pixar for me it's 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 still fine and it's like great dreamworks or great you know any other animation company but um it just didn't have a wow factor for me. Yeah. I settled it at number 11 for Pixar, by the way. Oh, nice. Yeah, I would have it a lot lower, lower. than that. Um, like, it's not like, you know, uh, Cars 2 or anything like that. Um, but, like, it's certainly no Toy Story. So Sure. Uh, I know you're going to have this higher. I have Bo Burnham's inside here. Um, mm-hmm. It's it's great, um, and I love it. I just I, I'm not quite sure, like, that – I it's it's still not even my favorite Bo Burnham. Um, it's my second mm. favorite. I still think what is my favorite. Um, but uh, it, I, I really appreciate the craftsmanship here. So I, I'm totally okay if it wins all the awards. Um, you know, awaiting that Criterion release and all that, and I'll for sure pick it up. But uh, yeah, um, I don't know. It's just not all of it. Maybe it's because like this was the first thing he did that was like an hour and a half. All of his stuff has been like an hour and maybe it just felt a little dragging to me. Um, And like, it feels a lot longer because of the nature of it. But um, yeah, so maybe just pacing issues was, was my problem, but it's, it's my perspective of it. Not, not to, not to take away from the great craftsmanship that goes into it. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. My number three is one that I am still surprised. I've seen so few people talk about and that's supernova. Uh, 
Mm. Colin Firth and Stanley Tucci play a married couple and Stanley Tucci has uh, dementia. Um, so his, his mind is slowly going and they want to go on one more holiday across the, the uh, English countryside together while they can both remember it and cherish it. And um, yeah, it, it gets into the value of life, the value of love and those around you. Um, those two give out of the performances that I've seen from them, which is a handful. And I always like both of them. I think they're both giving their best performances. Uh, it's a great movie. I don't know why more people aren't talking about it. Yeah. I honestly think you're the only person besides Shane, cause Shane sees everything that, uh, that I know that's seen it. And uh, I, I mean, definitely you've piqued my interest. Uh, I just hope that if it is as good as you say it is that like, if this was coming out in November, people would be talking about it because presumably it would be an awards contender. But So I think it would have counted towards these past Oscars if okay. it was going to count at all. Um, okay. yeah, I don't I remember just, what the studio was. I just don't, for whatever reason, I didn't think it was worth the push. Interesting. Yeah, I just, I, I think there's a, I don't know, it's just hopefully, if it is as good as you say it is, you know, hopefully people don't just shrug it off. So yeah. I'll get around to it at some point. I'm sure. And it's not um, that long either. It's only like 90 minutes. So perfect. I love shorter yeah. movies. <laughs> um, Mitchell versus a machine is my number three. Nice. Um, this is a su- like super surprise. And like, honestly, I think would have taken, if it would have come out last year, I think it would have been my pick for the best animated film. Um, um, over soul, right? Yeah. Over soul. And I mean, Wolf Walkers was a pretty strong contender there That's too. True. Yeah. Um, and I think both of those are gorgeous and, terrific and excellent in their own right but um i don't know something about the mitchells and the machines is just there's very little not to like about it it's maybe the only thing is it's maybe a little bit too much hit you over the head with its messages but this is not made for a 26 year old grown adult this is made for like i mean it's made for everybody but like the primary audience the people that they're hoping to grab i'm sure is significantly younger than me yeah yeah um was it number two Mm -hmm. yeah um my number two even though you said you weren't counting this one, but my number two is the father. Um, I saw it in theaters in 2021. Uh, so yeah, I, I thought this was great. Um, as someone who's had to witness two different family members, uh, go through mental illness, uh, like this, this kind of degenerative mental illness, uh, end of life kind, uh, this struck home in a way I really wasn't expecting. Um, and it made me understand their, struggles that much more uh, especially not only because now i'm an adult but now and those things happened when i was a teenager and younger but uh just because of how this movie frames anthony hopkins struggle um as much as i wanted Chad- chadwick to win the oscar i think there's no way you can say hopkins didn't deserve it um and all the other performance performers in this movie especially olivia coleman are also great yeah, I need another watch of this one. Um, I really liked it. I'm just not quite as high as everybody else is on it. Um, mm. But it deserves every technical achievement going for it. Yeah, um, the editing was great. S- specifically editing and performances. Yep. Uh, my number two I know is not going to be on your top five is In the Heights. Um, mm. I, I, I agree with some of the things you say. Uh, and I and I understand some of the criticisms on it's, it's maybe a little shallow and it's maybe a little over stylized and all that, but it's just such a delight to me. And mm-hmm. I love the soundtrack and there's very, there was very little negative I could say about it. Like there's definitely some unnecessary parts 
like you could completely cut out Lin Manuel's cr- cr- character, and it doesn't change the movie at all, other than gives you a few less laughs, um, especially the end credit scene. Um, but you could. Oh, uh, I didn't know there was an end credit scene. Yeah, it's 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 great. Um, it's one of the best. Um, but there's a. I don't know. There's something just so delightful and fun and vibrant about it and really feels like a part of this culture that I know little about. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah. Yeah. I don't think it was over stylized. I just think the style wasn't for me. Um, mm. so if you're into the style, I understand why you, why you like it. Uh, yeah. I didn't hate it by the way. Um, but anyway, my yeah, number yeah. one is Bo Burnham inside and that's no surprise. And I've talked about it on this podcast. I've written about it on sifpop.com. I've talked about it on my YouTube channel and I think, if you want to hear anything I have to say, go to any one of those places. Yeah. And uh, I've mentioned this movie, I think, three or four times. Movie, maybe it's loose. Um, uh, my number one is Derek Delgadio's mm. in and of itself. Um, it, I, I really don't see this getting moved from number one, like regardless what comes out this year. Um, Avengers Endgame could come out again, and in and of <laughs> itself is still my number one. Uh, this Avengers is just- Endgame could come out again, and it would land on 25 on my list. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, uh, it's it's uh, it, there's something so mind bending about his about the way he structures it, and I think mm-hmm. it's his, he's giving an incredible performance, and um, I think there's a lot of ideas that he merely introduces and then just walks away from, and you're like, no, 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 like you could make a whole show on that, and so like as part of my job, I'm actually um, probably in the spring going to be um, adapting that this as some sort of like teaching curriculum. So, hmm. um, I love it. It's every, it's everything about it strikes an Aaron chord. So, so I had that at, let's see, number 12. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wonder if that had had catchy music, if it would be higher because part of what's making inside so lasting for me is my wife's getting freaking annoyed at me because she's, <laughs> Because every time I play music from inside, she's like, I wake up with that in my head. I go to sleep with it in my head. I don't want to listen to it anymore. Yeah. Um, even though she loves it. But like, that's the thing is it gets in your head and it gets you thinking about it. Um, that might be why similar, like kind of philosophical one man show type of right. thing. Or Well, and to I, me, yeah. I'm sure songs are catchy to get stuck inside your head, but I am fascinated by the things that he's mentioned i can't get the story of the rulatista out of my head or mm-hmm. that the last 20 minutes of the show i just anytime i start thinking about it i just can't stop yeah um it's it's incredible so um so it, it's just a difference on preference and you know we already talked about you know within the heights it's did everybody has different- Colbert produce that he did yeah i i really like colbert i love his thoughtfulness so i think it was because of him or because of his like endorsement that i was like okay i think i gotta check this out yeah, I think uh, I'm not disagreeing with anything you said. It just like I need to watch it again to let it all sink back in. Yeah, I did. Um, I, I checked it out because I think Dicer recommended it at some point, and like mm-hmm. I, it was already on my radar. And then I checked it out, and it's just there's no words to describe how good this is to me. So yeah, cool, sweet. Um, all right, one more random question before we move, Robert. Um, what part of the human face is your favorite? <laughs> <laughs> And do I want to put lotion on it? Is that part two? <laughs> I was scrolling through this website and telling Robert all these terrible questions that they had. Like one of them was like, if you could put anybody in an insane asylum, who would you? It's like, that's a terrible question. And like, and they're like, what part of your body needs lotion the most? It's like, I'm not asking Robert that. 
this is this is pretty mild compared to that. What, what part of the human face is your favorite? Or you could combine the three and say, who do you want to put in insane asylum, and <laughs> who do you want to put lotion? Do you want to put lotion? <laughs> Whose face do you want to put lotion on in an insane <laughs> asylum? <laughs> my favorite part of the human face. Uh, I don't know. Now I'm looking at my reflection. Uh, I'll say a beard. Does that Ooh, count? Yeah, for sure. A nicely, a nicely groomed beard. Yeah. Because yeah. I'll talk about this later, but I've been watching some Dev Patel stuff, mm. and man, his long hair and beard look in Lion, mm-hmm. that that kept me invested. <laughs> <laughs> yep, I'm gonna give a little bit more generic answer. I think eyes. Um, it's everybody's is different, and I think there's something that is meant to pop out of the head. Uh, about the eyes so i mean not le- not literally don't actually pop the your eyes out of your head from Game of like Thrones like, yeah like when people pop their eyes out of their head like that uh you know they can make them you know bulge or whatever um no i i don't like there's something that's meant to stand out about the eyes so yeah um sweet all right let's do it uh let's start off with Stillwater before we forget um still this is a new matt damon movie um let me see if I can pull up the synopsis here quick. Uh, Abigail Breslin in here as well. Zombie Rain Fane, you know. Um, and, uh, Little Miss Sunshine. And Little Miss Sunshine, that's right. Uh, written and directed by Tom McCarthy. A couple other writers on the story here. Um, yo, Tom McCarthy of Spotlight fame. Um, oh. oh, that's not a good Oh. <laughs> no, I, I was saying, oh, I was, it was supposed to be a good Oh. Okay, it just sounded like a oh, spotlight. I was like, how do you not like spotlight? No, no, no. I like spotlight a lot. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay, uh, father travels from Oklahoma to France to help his estranged daughter who is in prison for the murder she claims she didn't commit. Um, all right, we could be brief about this. Uh, really, all three of these, I think. Well, at least two of them. Um, Robert, anticipation level. This, you know, All these are, you know, well, Jungle Cruise is going to be premier access as well. But, um, you know. Let's let's assume COVID's gone, all that, and all these are just going to be theatrical releases. Um, you're going to check this out opening weekend. Wait for a discount night. Uh, wait to rent it at home. Uh, wait till it's on a streaming service you already pay for. You're just not interested in seeing this movie. So normally we watch the trailer and do a little bit of research before this, but I didn't do that for Stillwater because we just decided now we're going to talk about it. Mm-hmm. But what got me invested, other than new Matt Damon movie, was I saw. Because I like Matt Damon, obviously. I saw a review from David Ehrlich of IndieWire mm-hmm. that called him MAGA Matt Damon and said it's good. So I said, oh. all right, I, I got to see this. <laughs> Interesting. So oh. there, there's my thoughts. I'll be there uh, opening weekend because I finally have a free weekend next week uh, for all three of these. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, it's, as far as excitement for this movie, it's going to be opening weekend. I just don't know that I'll get around to doing it. Yeah. Um, you know, as, as is the case, but as, as far as ex- excitement level, you know, if I had a completely free schedule and an unlimited budget and, and all that, you know, I'd, I'd go as soon as humanly possible. Uh, I mean, Matt Damon looks incredible in this. Abigail Breslin looks incredible in this. There's a couple elements that they aren't talking about in the synopsis. And if you see a trailer, you can look at um, that, like, intrigue me um, about cultural studies and relationships to people. Um uh, Tom McCarthy is uh, is a big selling point. Otherwise, this might have been uh, might have been more like a matinee. But you put the writer and director True. of Spotlight in in front of me with a with a big budget and uh, and a cast that's gonna you know reminisce that pretty closely. And uh, yeah, I'm here for it. You know, here's my last quick thought: is that this is Damon's second movie of the year, 
Mm-hmm. Um, well, first of two, because he's also going to be in Last Duel, mm-hmm. where he sports a funky goatee. So. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. All right. So there's a new uh, letterboxed list for you. <laughs> <laughs> True. I want to do that. <laughs> funky Matt Damon goatee <laughs> movies in 2021. Yep. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um uh, I don't I, I, I don't know how much else there is to say and like I think there's so much about this movie that I'm not really like I don't really know um, I think the title's kind of confusing um, especially because like when they show the trailer like it just doesn't really seem like it means anything so I'm hoping it brings some meaning there like it's like the town that he's from or something like that and it's like that's the oh, best you can yeah. come up with um, should have called it Matt Damon MAGA <laughs> <laughs> MAGA Matt Damon um, make Matt Damon great again uh, <laughs> hey watch your language he's, he's always great right that's right uh did he ever like he hasn't had a low spot in his career ever right like Matt damon um like it seems like a lot of these people like ben affleck kind of had a, a oh, couple yeah, year ben. period where he was like maybe not great and then all of a sudden he comes out with gone baby gone and you're like all right that's ben affleck and then like um well, you know like i don't think matt damon's ever had a weak spot matt damon from 2016 <laughs> To half of 2017 had Jason Bourne, The Great Wall, Downsizing, and Suburbicon. Yeah. And then that was like a year and a half, which doesn't Right, really a year count. and a half, but he still came out with four movies and several of them blockbusters. And like, yeah. you know, nobody can fault him for you know coming back to do Jason Bourne and, with Paul Greengrass attached. And like, nobody can fault him for wanting to be in the new, uh, who did Downsizing? Was it Camera Crow? I think no. so. Uh, maybe, I don't know. Anyway, like you can't fault can't fault him for like wanting to take on those projects. Maybe the great wall, but <laughs> look at my goodness. I know we're already down a rabbit hole, but I've never looked at his filmography like this. Mm-hmm. So going from chasing Amy, the rainmaker, goodwill hunting, saving private Ryan rounders, dogma, talented, Mr. Ripley. That's a like, pretty incredible run. <laughs> yes. All from 98 to 99, two years or 97 to 99. Oh, dang. All right. Anyway, Matt Damon's great. Yeah, Matt Damon is in that goats conversation. Yeah. Um, all right. Uh, so yeah. Uh, so I, I don't. I, I just don't know how much more I can say about this, but that's fine. Um, it looks yeah. great. Yep. Uh, let's move on to Jungle Cruise. We'll save the one I know you're dying to talk about until last. Um, based on Disneyland's a theme park ride, where a small riverboat takes a group of travelers through a jungle filled uh, with dangerous animals and rep- and reptiles, but with a supernatural element. Uh, this is going to be premiere access as well as theatrical release. Um, we got The Rock, Emily Blunt, uh, Jesse Plemons in here, Paul Giamatti, Edgar Ramirez. Um, so, like, I think it's a pretty good cast. Uh, what's your rating on this one? Um, what are you, what are you gonna, where are you going to fall on the anticipation scale? I'm surprised, but I am opening weekend on this. Interesting. Yeah. Um, I am straight in the streaming category. Really. Yeah. All right. Let's start. Let's start with the positives. Um, I don't know where the heck I saw it, but someone was talking about. I don't know. Maybe maybe it was just the second trailer that I was like, you know, this actually looks kind of fun, and I like The Rock, and mm-hmm. I like Emily Blunt, mm-hmm. and of course I like Jesse Plemons. Yeah, and Paul um, Giamatti for sure. Paul, yeah, Paul Giamatti. Paul Giamatti. Um, all of those actors you just named, I like them all. Um, mm-hmm. It just looks like fun. I'm normally cynical of Disney stuff lately, um, mm. but this isn't a remake. It's not a sequel. I know it's based off the Disney ride, 
But, like, look at their track record with movies based off of rides. <laughs> like, well, it's not bad. Right, yeah. It feels more like Pirates of the Caribbean than a remake of Aladdin. Um, I, w- I was thinking, like, Jumanji. But, yeah, it feels more like sure. Pirates of the Caribbean than... Yeah, yeah. but, like, in, the, in Disney terms, it's more Pirates of the Caribbean than an Aladdin remake. Yes, yes. Um, so, yeah, it just looks like a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, um... Yeah. I was actually looking up uh, films based off of theme park attractions to see if we could do it for the BEC, but there's just not enough. It's all Disney stuff, too. I looked up the same thing. Yeah. uh, I mean, I haven't seen some of these films, and some of these are, like, you know, good with a pinch of salt. But, like, like Tomorrowland is not a good movie, but it's not terrible by any means. And um, uh, The Haunted Mansion was great for, like, what it was going for. Um, It's not good by any means, but, like, campy kids movie. It's fine. Mm -hmm. You could do worse. Yeah. Country Bears, I heard was never seen it. Is that the one that's no? It's it, there's another bear movie that was supposed to be like surprisingly Brigsby Bear. bear. Oh, Brigsby Bear. I don't, know. I, I don't know. There's a bunch of bear movies. Yeah, like I don't like. It's not as bad of a track record as we think. I think when, when they were coming out with Pirates, everybody was like, "Really?" Based off the ride, like, yeah. but it's great. <laughs> At least the first is. one is. First one, um, yeah. I mean, we'll disagree, but <laughs> that's uh, first video. first one's incredible. <laughs> Um, and, uh, yeah, it's, um, I don't know. I, I don't, I don't have that factor that you're having. I think look in front of the camera, everything looks great. Uh, like uh, on paper, this sounds great. Um, you know, with, uh, with the rock and Jesse Plemons and Emily Blunt, I love all of them. Um, Paul Giamatti. Uh, but then you throw in, uh, the, the director who did the shallows and like, that's really interesting for, for this. This director, though, he is the Kevin Feige of the LNCU, the Liam Neeson Cinematic Universe. (laughs) He did Nonstop, The Commuter, Run All Night, and Unknown. I only saw Nonstop, but I thought that one was kind of okay. What about Nonstop, though? Have you seen the Key and Peele sketch? Uh, No, I haven't. Oh, you gotta see the Key and Peele sketch. Anyway, um, they do a whole sketch about Nonstop, and Liam Neeson himself shows up. Um, It shows me that it could be a fun little action movie, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, I guess maybe fun little is 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 fine, but it's like I, no part of me feels like I need to rush to see this movie. Um, and you know, if it was gonna if it was gonna come out on Disney Plus, just straight up, not on mm-hmm. Premiere Access, I'd probably be like wanting to watch it sooner. But like, I don't know, like nothing about this really grabbed me. And like the last time we saw the trailer in the theater, I just turned to my wife and like, normally after every trailer, I'm like, I'm going. Are you going? And she's and she gives her thoughts, but it's like I'm like. I'm not going. Are you going? And yeah. she's like, nah, I'm fine to wait. Interesting. So, well, yeah. The Rock doesn't take himself too seriously like Vin Diesel. Um, Which is why he works. Exactly. And that's why I am like, have excitement for this. Um, also, these guys who are writing it, who wrote the movie, are mm-hmm. the writers of Zendaya is Michi. So, uh, <laughs> the movie that inspired that song. So, that counts for something. Nice. Um, yeah, um, yeah. I think you take out the cast. Um, you take out the Rock, Emily Blunt, Paul Giamatti, and Jesse Plemons, and I'm straight up in the not interested category. But well, then you have a different movie if you do that. Uh, that's fair. That's fair. You put in you put in Vin Diesel and <laughs> Michelle Rodriguez and Tyrese Gibson, and <laughs> and you have a Fast and Furious movie. <laughs> you have a really weird Fast and Furious movie. Now, like you put in Vin Diesel and I don't know who's an Emily Blunt comparison. <laughs> There's nobody in Hathaway. <laughs> Sure, sure. You put in Vin Diesel and Anne Hathaway and um, and Matt Damon to, <laughs> to take the Jesse Plemons spot. 
yeah, you, you change up the cast, and I'm just not really interested in this movie. But you know, um, well, like I, I'll kind of watch anything that The Rock is in at this point. If Johnny Depp isn't Jack Sparrow, you're not interested. You know, like if Ryan Gosling and yeah. Russell Crowe don't do the nice guys, I don't know if that's <laughs> yeah, for sure. They're the reason that movie works so well. Exactly. So that's why, but, like, like, I see this cast, and I don't really care right. about the story. I care about the fun. Also, there's got to be a, a pun somewhere about Emily Blunt and The Rock, which is a stone, blunt, stoned. I don't know. There's something in there. Okay. I don't know. I'm sure I'm, there's I was trying to. I was trying to, trying to figure it out, but I couldn't think of anything. All right. Well, I'm sure that the movie will think of it first. <laughs> Hopefully. Sweet. All right. Now the one that I know you're excited to talk about. Let's talk about some Green Knight. This new Devin Patel, Alicia Vikander, Joel Edgerton, written and directed by Dave Lowry, um, uh, produced by A24. Uh, synopsis to this is a fantasy retelling of the medieval story of Sir Gawain and the Green Knight. Robert, where are you landing? Uh, opening weekend. This is the one I'm going to make sure out of these three that I see that okay. weekend. Uh, yeah. I'm going to land at uh, matinee. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Like I'm not necessarily a big fan of this genre, this like, you know, the, you know, like I'm fine with like swords and arrows and things like that, but like Mm -hmm. throwing magical elements and I'm just kind of out. Um, I I don't, I don't really like, um, anything that has to do with that. Like, unless it's done really well. Um, but I think the track record, maybe it's just the track record. Like, you, you know, typically all these, you know, movies with knights and ma- with uh, swords and magic are just bad. Uh, right. But like you give me a Braveheart or Gladiator and like I'm down, but you throw in a magic element and I'm like not really interested in this movie anymore. So Green Knight to me looks closer to Lord of the Rings than it does to Guy Ritchie's uh, King Arthur. And See, I, that's I, I, hadn't seen, I hadn't seen Guy Ritchie's King Arthur. But that's exactly what we were talking about is like the swords and arrows and magic and it's just like fine. But yeah. not not really anything special. It's designed to get butts and seats. Whereas sure. Lord of the Rings and Green Knight look like passion projects from the filmmakers with people buying in. Um, and that's that's really what's drawing me so much. Uh, it feels like I always have to do my Lord of the Rings reference and I already started. But like it's obviously my favorite movie uh, series. And this feels closer and more akin to Lord of the Rings than even the Hobbit movies did. It's just like something very realistic looking doesn't go realistic meaning like visually uh Mm. not over the top cgi and that sort of thing um where people are who are making it are taking it seriously um and it's part of it's part of king arthur legendarium which i think is really cool i'm in the middle of tolkien's translation of the epic poem and uh i'm enjoying that so far and i'm going to finish it before the movie so yeah, it's it's pretty much just since it's medieval fantasy starring Dev Patel and Alicia Vikander uh, and Joel Edgerton, you know, mm-hmm. and the guy from the Mission Impossible movie, Sean Harris, and even Barry Keegan's in there, you know. Oh, I just all- don't see him on IMDb's page, but yeah, I remember him being in there now. Um, and even the actress from Solo and Falcon and Winter Soldier, she's in there. So what's your name? Aaron Kellyman. So my point is, I'm just totally down. I, I just really want, can't wait to see this movie. Yeah, I mean, like, I'm gonna, I, I'm probably gonna check it out. And like, it probably out of the three movies, this is the one that I'm actually like, 
gonna go see in theaters if i go see any of these three a lot will just depend on schedule and all that um but it's just because of the hype for this movie um like it's almost even though i said i'm more excited for Stillwater, um even though i'd be more excited like i feel like this would be a better theatrical experience and like mm-hmm. i feel like i want to be in on the conversation like even zola a24's last movie which I don't think many people really liked people were still talking about it for a while. Like yeah. I want to be in on the conversation. I mean, it's just a little bit of FOMO there, but, um, did you see Zola? No. It, yeah. The conversations passed. I wouldn't say it's worth it. Even though right. 24 normally is right. Right. And so like, you know, you know, on bottom line, you put a 24 on a title and I'm at least going to be in the rent category, uh, yeah. or the rent level. But like, you know, at this point with their track record, but, um, but yeah, uh, I don't. I don't know. It's just, it just doesn't seem nothing about it is saying you gotta go right now. Other than just to be part of the conversation, um, sure. and also like it says from on the poster from acclaimed director David Lowry, and it's like, what is he acclaimed for? The only real things of notice he's done is the um, the Peach Dragon live action remake and the Old Man and the Gun, which was like I think a um, like a kind of indie did pretty okay. Um, no, but like, I don't think a pe- bunch of people talk about it. He's, uh, an indie guy that people like a lot. So Nathan body saints, which was okay. a Casey Affleck, Rooney Mara movie is one that people like a lot. And I've heard of that one. I just didn't know if people liked it. And a ghost story is also very good. And that's, that's kind of, that was a Netflix one where people are like, all right, this guy is, or that was an a 24 one that it's on Netflix is why I said Netflix. Um, where people are like, okay, this guy has talent. And of course, if he's got A24 producing his movie, then people go crazy over it. So, right. Yeah. I don't know. I just, I, I don't know. I just, oh, that, that kind of throws me off. They're like, you're saying a clean director, David Lowry, but it's like, this is the Pete's Dragon guy. Like, yeah. What is, you know, I, to me, it's like you make a movie like this with this sort of anticipation. Now you're a clean director, but. I guess because like I also like I've heard of a ghost story, but I, d- I didn't know how people felt about it. It's not mo- these aren't movies that people really talk about much. That's the one with uh, Casey Affleck spending the entire movie with a sheet over his head, mm. and Sounds it's perfect. Ex- <laughs> it's existential and about life and death and leaving your mark on the friggin' world. It's like <laughs> that's where it gets acclaimed. Okay. So. Yeah, I mean, like I said, if there's going to be one of these that I check out in theaters at some point, it's probably going to be The Green Knight. But um, I don't know. I, I, I think I'd probably just be okay waiting. Um, you know, nowadays with as many streaming services as there are, these pretty much go to a streaming service like as soon as they're done, like as soon as their theatrical release is done. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I like I think I'm saying like I think for Stillwater, I, I don't know if that'll be HBO or Paramount or something but like i've got to have access to it at some place right if not like they drop on sale pretty quickly because like that's the thing about everybody doing these 20 dollars rentals is now like when the movies actually just come out they drop on sale pretty quickly because you know people like oh i spent 20 dollars to rent it now you know so they're like when they come on sale they're only like 15 bucks and then they drop to like 10 pretty quickly so like Mm -hmm. even if it's on like stars or something that i don't pay for i can get access to it pretty quickly but yeah Okay, cool. There's your three movies coming out this week. Busiest weekend for movies in a while because these are all like pretty big movies. I mean, A24 is not really an indie anymore. They're a big studio. Yeah. So they still make they still make the movies that something like Paramount isn't going to pick up, but they're a big studio at this point. 
Apparently, they only have about 100 employees, which is crazy to me. Insane. Especially because, like, for how much they, don't, they put out. Well, like, they don't put out, like, a movie a year. Yeah, they put out a lot. So, yeah. Interesting. And they're being talking, or they're talked about, they're talking about being bought by Apple, which mm. I'd not like to see because then they're totally gone from the indie scene, which is a whole different conversation. Yeah. And then. Yeah, and I don't know if their films would go to theaters or if they would go straight to Apple TV Plus. I'm like, I mean, I already pay for Apple TV Plus, but I don't really want to watch The Green Knight on Apple TV. I at least want the option to see it in, in theaters, you know? Yeah. All right. Well, let's get around to the meat of the show. Let's get around to the SIF topic. Uh, our goats. Um, Robert, which one would you like to start talking about? Eight and a half is in my notes first. Okay, let's do this. Uh, the synopsis for this, or by the way, this is a 1963 movie. You can catch it streaming on HBO Max um, right now. Uh, synopsis for this, it's Italian film, by the way, it's worth mentioning. Uh, synopsis for this film is a harried director. Is that, is that how that word is? H-A-R-I-E-D, harried? Yeah. A harried uh, movie director retreats into his memories and fantasies. And like, that's kind of the very basic, um, I just pick whatever, whatever um, IMDb gives me. Uh, really, it's about this guy who feels a lot of pressure. It's filmmaker who feels a lot of pressure um, uh, to make this upcoming movie that he's promised is going to be spectacular, but he can't figure out how to make it work and can't get the inspiration to do it. And so he's kind of having a mental crisis. Right? Is that fair? Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So I do understand the movie. Okay. Um, it's it's kind of a con- like it is a confusing movie to watch. Um, intentionally. I'll, I'll give my thoughts in a minute. Yeah. Okay. Right. Uh, reason why this might be considered a goat, um, is because it has an 8.0 on IMDb. Uh, not quite enough to make the top 250, but, uh, that's still impressive. Uh, 91 on Metacritic and 98% on Rotten Tomatoes, uh, for the Oscars. Uh, this one best foreign language film and best costume design black and white. This was nominated for best director with Frederico Fellini. Um, the writing and story, um, screen writing story and screenplay was nominated uh, and nominated for best art and set decoration black and white um, this was nominated for a BAFTA the year it came out best film from any source uh, and this premiered at Cannes Film Festival with nearly universal acclaim but it didn't win anything because it was shown outside the competition apparently Cannes has this exclusivity rule and they premiered it at like a Moscow fe- film festival like either right before or during and can has to be like uh, us right. exclusively, so it could yeah. so it wasn't eligible for any awards. Um, but it seems like based off of the reaction, it probably would have won best in show. Um, this was uh, the basis for the Tony Award-winning musical Nine in 1982. That musical was revived in 2003, and then in 2009 turned into a movie starring Daniel Day Lewis, which piqued my interest. And then I saw it has a 5.3 on IMDb, <laughs> so immediately lost my interest. Um, uh, and this has a Criterion collection released, which is how I watched this movie because this was one of the first Criterions I bought. Um, and uh, yeah, so uh, Robert, what do you, do you have any history with this movie? And if not, why were you excited to see this one? Um, history and excitement are always the same. Is I didn't know anything about it. Uh, we said let's watch it, and I had heard of it. I said okay, <laughs> let's see an old movie that's acclaimed that I've never seen before. Yeah, I mean, this is, I've never seen this one either, but like, this is, I think, um, one of the most widely regarded films about making film. 
Um, I know this is David Lynch's favorite movie. No. Um, so like, that's also worth noting. Um, and like, I'm interested in some of the artsy fartsy movies. Um, like not a lot of them. Like I don't particularly like Roma. Um, but like, you know, I think we talked about cinema Paradiso and that's very much a artsy feeling movie and things like that. Um, yeah, it's not as much as Roma, but like, obviously I loved cinema Paradiso. And, uh, what do you um, mean by artsy? Like for cinema Paradiso or just in general, just in general, like, uh, movies that are more about the process of making the film as opposed to what the Mm. film is trying to do or say. Uh, movies that are more concerned about technique and style over substance. Sure. Um, which I think a lot of these movies have a lot of substance or it's just really hard for me to see. Like mm-hmm. hearing Dicer talk about Roma, I wish I could see that movie that way. I just can't. I just mm-hmm. see pretentious nonsense. <laughs> like, I don't know. Um, so I get you. Anyway, I'm probably huh? somewhere in the middle between the two errands. Okay, that's fair. Like, yeah. and uh, look, I'm willing to say I'm in the mi- minority, and I'm probably wrong. That's fine. Uh, I'm just not really interested in taking a taking a trip back to it. Yeah. Um, so, um, speaking of which, uh, Robert, eight and a half. Do you like this movie? Love it, hate it, dislike it? I think it's just okay. Ah, uh, this is so hard to, for me to answer um, because I always have a hard enough trouble or hard enough time with black and white movies. Mm-hmm. I feel like I need to qualify my answer. I have a hard enough time with black and white movies because just like the like older black and white movies, not artistic choice black and white, because it's tough for me to differentiate between characters and what's going on and everything's in black and white sometimes. Um, on, I get top that. Of the, on top of that, I don't have a problem with subtitled movies, but when it's as like heavy and heady of a story as this is, and it's in black and white already, um, it was tough for me to keep an eye on both the subtitles and what was going on on screen because there were moments when like in one shot, someone like a person he's talking to would be this one person, but then an edit or a cut would be a different person. Mm-hmm. And I'm like reading the subtitles. Um, and I missed it. So all of that being said, I'm going to say like low side of like it because I got what it's all going for, but it was tough for me to follow along because of all the reasons that it's listed. Okay. Um, I, I think I have similar experiences. Um, like I think black and white can be a little bit di- more difficult to differentiate, especially because like maybe this is more the key, but like back in the day that people shot in black and white, um, like because that was all that was available to them was also the day that like your leads wore black suits. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like, you know, when you watch, when we have something like arsenic and old lace, like everybody's wearing a black suit. So how do you differentiate? Um, you ha- you have to just figure it out, um, and it takes some getting used to um, in 2021. Um, so I, I get that, and like, yeah, for for such a heady um, for for such a heady movie that's uh, so much style, um, subtitles right. was very difficult to follow, um, and it's not like quick or snappy dialogue either. Um, you know, it's not like if you it's not like when you watch Parasite or something like that. Right. It's like just, I wanted to sit and digest the dialogue yeah. that was being said but it was like some of the times didn't even get to finish reading it before it was on to the next thing and he's like talking about meaning and worth and art and just like right. holy crap i like what he's talking about but i don't know if i can digest it at the moment the way i'm being presented it right yeah and so that's where i that's what that's why i'm gonna land exactly for what you said i think i like what this movie's going for i just don't like this avenue i don't think this was 
you know, I, I, I love the idea, uh, you know, and th- obviously what we could talk about the women, um, <laughs> and, and how much that impacts the movie. But like, um, I, I love everything this movie is going for. I just don't like the movie. I'm in, didn't like it. Hmm. Uh, not hated it. Not like pretty far from hated it, but like this, this probably would have been a movie that had we not been talking about it on the podcast, I probably would have shut off about 30 minutes in, um, you know, I was thinking I, I turned it off middle of the way through and finished it the next day. And I normally don't like to do that. It's just like a totally different kind of sensory over, overload from yeah. in the Heights where it's just like so much stuff, whether it's philosophical ideas, subtitles, black and white, you know, uh, crazy visuals, um, stuff that you really need to be in the mindset of, you know, like I, I barely got Mulholland drive, which was heavily inspired by this. And that was in yeah. English and in color. Um, so it, but I will say this, like the only reason I'm saying low side of like it is because of like, it's my own fault. Like it's not the movie's fault. Uh, I had a hard, like, it's cause I had a hard time following it. Um, but it reminded me a lot of adaptation and I was reading mm, and watching. I was thinking the same thing I was reading. Yeah. I was reading and watching, reading some articles and watching some videos on the movie after I finished it. And a lot of people were mentioning how. Kaufman has been influenced by Fellini, but no one seemed to mention adaptation, which seems to be like the this most is, directly. Yeah. A uh, very similar movie. Yeah. It's like about a guy struggling to make a movie, uh, wondering about whether what he has to say has any worth, um, how, you know, all that kind of stuff. And I love adaptation. Yeah. Like, I love adaptation too. So that's why I kind of kept that in my head as I was watching this to just like, kind of help keep me grounded in some way yeah um yeah that's fair that's fair to say i don't know, i just i think there's a lot to like about this movie which is like keeping me from the hate at camp but like it's just and it's a two hour and 23 minute movie but it felt like five and a half hours to me uh i did watch it in one sitting um but like even like sitting there, I'd get five minutes in of like concentration and then I'd like want to like pull up my phone and, and see what's what's new on Twitter. And like part of that is because, you know, I'm watching it the day before the NHL draft. And so there's a lot of trades being made. And so like there could be a trade made at any minute. And so like I want to check. But like I'm sitting there hoping there's a trade so I can read an article about a player being traded instead of watching this movie that like I'm. I'm I'm invested in the concept of I just I just the execution isn't for me I think and oddly enough we talk about the Oscars and winning and it was only nominated for best art and sex decoration I think that's the best thing this movie does I think it's like visually really beautiful and like I, I think there's there's such a contrast with I, I think somebody needs to tell Fellini that there are other colors other than pitch black and bright white but <laughs> but like it works in a way like there's so much white in this movie and there's and there's so much darks but I think it's it's not only gorgeous to look at but i think it kind of emulates the the confusion that he's trying to to talk about mm-hmm. um and how and like stark contrasts of reality and um his stress getting to him like uh, i i i I, I don't have much to say about this movie. I think I, th- I don't think the I don't think there's anything wrong with the performances. Um, I don't think there's anything necessarily wrong with the direction. It's just this is not a movie that was ever going to entertain me. Right. Um, I almost <laughs> wish I could. I feel so hypocritical saying all of this, but like, wish I could just read it as like a a paper or, or an essay or something, mm-hmm. or just watch a dubbed version because. Um, 
again, I have no problem with subtitles in general. Like you mentioned Parasite. That's that's fine. Cinema Paradiso, which we watched a mm-hmm. couple episodes ago, I had no problem. But it's this when it's just like so metaphorical visually. Yes. But I, I, I couldn't uh, keep everything straight. But again, I, I'm, I'm like you. I don't really have a ton to say because I had such a hard time digesting it. But a few of the things I wrote down were all were almost all thematic where they're wondering about creating something real important and beautiful at the same time. Um, whether that's possible, uh, that's a big part of his struggle. I like his interplay with the critic who keeps coming up to him, the main character, mm-hmm. because when you're making a movie, that's you have that in your, when you're making anything, you have that in, in mind. Like what are people going to think of this when it, the, the critic or the producer, um, there, there was a critic in there okay. that he kept talking to. The, yeah. pro- the producer was my favorite part of the movie. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Um, but the biggest part of it for me was uh, the mix of honesty and art and then a story about a man who wants to make a movie that says something, but he's worried that he has actually nothing of importance to say. Yeah. Um, and it just feels very autobiographical. Mm-hmm. Where, And that's kind of where the... the uh, comparison to adaptation comes in where it's like right well and there's nothing wrong with making an autobiographical movie like that i mean like we were like we were just talking about like i I love adaptation and adaptation feels like the better version of this movie to me sure um again i'm just still very hesitant to even say that just because i know i didn't take it in the way i should have sure um but I'll say I like adaptation better and I know this laid the groundwork for movies like adaptation to come mm-hmm. along. Um, and even, I don't know what the musical piece is called, but the piece that plays in apocalypse now during the bomb. Yeah. Um, gosh. That for anyone who, since we're not going to remember the music, they're the title of the track, but ride of the Valkyries. There you go. I just like, like that's another way that things have been recontextualized since the release of eight and a half. Mm -hmm. Um, Like this is a prominent movie where that's used and it's totally recontextualized for the use in apocalypse. Now Um, this is more interesting for me to look back on as a historical artifact. I think like I was saying about uh, seven samurai, all those episodes ago, Mm -hmm. than it is a movie that I sat down and really enjoyed or got a lot out of. Yeah, and like I guess that's the the qualifying factor here is like if you're looking for a movie that you're going to be entertained, I just don't think this is it. But like if you're looking for a metaphysical contemplation of what is art from a filmmaker's perspective, like if you're looking for something that for some people is just going to bore the snot out of them, like this is it. But like to me, every movie needs to have some sort of entertainment value. Um, while while um, Cinema Paradiso is some sort of reflection on this filmmaker's history and all that, like it's still a delightful, charming, sweet music accompanied by rich characters and like and uh, an adaptation is is coupled with Nicolas Cage's best performance, uh, an incredible performance by Meryl Streep, and uh, and some really funny, genuinely funny moments. Like adaptation is. Um, it's a good balance of entertainment and message. I, I just think this movie has no entertainment value for me, which is why I was bored the entire time. And I wanted to find any distraction I could. Uh, it's not to say it's a bad 
made movie. It's 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 just not made for entertainment purposes, and that's never going to be a movie that I'm interested in seeing again. Fair enough. <laughs> so like yeah. it's I'm not I'm it's it's odd, oddly enough like I'm saying I didn't like this movie pretty strongly. <laughs> But I'm not necessarily saying don't see this movie. <laughs> right, yeah. And I'm not – I'm definitely not like criticizing the Criterion Collection for adding this to their collection. Like this is exactly what that collection is made for. Yeah. Just, and why – spoiler alert. I think I would make it a goat because of how inspirational it's been uh, – influential, this, this I mean, it's been. a really difficult question to answer. <laughs> um do you, do you want to move on to Is This a Goat or like do you have other thoughts? I don't have any other thoughts. Okay, neither so. do I. Um, all right, so you said you you would say – I still think I'd barely err on the side of no because mm-hmm. I think that this is a, an important film and um, definitely was important for Fellini um, personally. Um, and and uh, like I feel like should be like should be archived – as some sort of form. So like the actual criterion collection, but I feel like maybe it's just our definition. And like, if we're assembling it, like, you know, we've kind of defined, is this movie a goat based off of if we're assembling the criterion collection, are we adding it? But like, because this doesn't have entertainment, value, I look, I am not going to keep my copy of this movie. The next time I go over to the store that I trade in movies, I, cause I have no desire to watch this again. Hmm. Um, so like if I'm not keeping a movie that should that should say something. And like, there's a difference between like, if you choose not to keep a movie like Schindler's list, because it's a three hour movie, that's just sadness the whole way through. <laughs> yeah. Um, about one of the worst tragedies in history, like, um, you know, or, or to, or to say something even like, you know, I haven't seen it yet, but Mulholland drive. Um, like I've heard stories of people that are impacted by that. And I would understand what Requiem for a dream is a great example, mm-hmm. a movie that nobody wants to see twice. <laughs> right. Um, so like, Mostly because of Jared Leto. No. <laughs> Fine, then. Black Swan, right? <laughs> um, any Aronofsky film. <laughs> um, just, it, it, yeah, nothing about me wants to go revisit it. So it's it's hard for me to say it is a goat. Um, I think it could be a technical achievement, a technical masterpiece and all that. And I think its influence um, is probably a lot more than we will ever understand as being not part of the filmmaking community. Um, but... I, I, I'm having a hard time even like I'm not recommending this movie, but I'm also not not recommending this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's just all going to depend on what your preferences is. Um, yeah. Somebody like Aaron Dicer, I'm sure would love it. Um, and somebody like Joseph Davis, I'm sure would love it. And sure, Shane might even love it. But like, I don't. <laughs> uh, and I'm definitely not going to recommend this or you know, try to show it to my wife or you know, any like person i encounter on the street be like oh have you seen eight and a half like no you should make blake watch this <laughs> <laughs> blake and i might agree on something no blake would wind up loving it um, yeah. and then we would still disagree but so uh actually i really don't think i don't know that he would um there's no way he would like this movie. <laughs> no way no so then we would finally have something to agree on um <laughs> I commented on one of his Facebook posts, I think after he saw, um, I don't know, some movie that I also did and he like really loved it and I didn't. And I'm like, I've never liked somebody that I disagree with so much. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like I really like him, but I, I, we completely disagree on everything movie related. You know, if you disagreed on like more fundamental values of a person, 
that right, would probably be right. a big difference. But well, and that's what like, it's one like, of my like, best we're... friends is a Yankee fan. So, like... <laughs> well, and that's one of the things is like we are two guys who have no. Well, I mean, at least yeah, don't aren't qualified to like we don't have film degrees, mm-hmm. right? Like you have something in like marketing, right? I have communication. Okay. Like we don't have you took a couple film classes and I took some that really shouldn't count as film classes. Like we're not experts, you know. You're not right. listening to a podcast with Leonard Malton and David Lynch. You listen to a podcast with soup pop writers. So like you know, take that for what it is, you know. We're not the end all be all, but it, I can't I can't say this is a go. Cool. Sweet. Um, I already said I, I don't think I'll ever watch this again. Would you see yourself watching this at some point? Maybe a long time down the road uh, if I'm feeling risky. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Uh, I feel like I do uh, want to think more about the ideas that he's talking about with just like – honestly, it's a lot like inside where you're wondering if you have if what you have to say is of value and if you should put it out. But you don't know how you don't know any other way to say what you have on your mind, so you're just going to throw it out there in this way. Um, so yeah, I, you I like your first Bo Burnham's Inside is a remake of Eight and a Half. <laughs> it's it's like very similar and it's similar thematically. How yeah, how thematically and autobiographical it is. So yeah, I, I don't see myself ever watching this film again. Um, I would read a book for sure. I would read this in book format. I would even be like willing to pick up the, the teleplay and read the screenplay at some point. Hmm. Uh, the screenplay. Um, I'd be interested in doing that. Um, but I'm not interested in revisiting this film. Um, so, cool. All right. Um, out of curiosity, where do you have this? I have this dead last on all the all the goats that we've talked about. Um, give me one second. I don't remember where I put it. It was obviously kind of low. Um... Number 24 out of 28. Okay. Yeah, it's, it used to be The Birds was my least favorite. And, but, like, I can still find things to really like about The Birds, even though I didn't like the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. And, like, here's here's the other thing. I don't know that we'll ever get to a Goats episode that either one of us says, I hate it. Yeah, I don't know. Because even, like, I, I think Nightmare Before Christmas is your lo- least rated, and you were still just, like, a strong dislike. <laughs> Yeah, I don't. It takes a lot for me to hate a movie. Like, yeah. unless, and I don't think any of the kind, any of the types that we would watch on this for this podcast would be the kind that I hate. Right. Because a lot of the stuff I hate is like coming out now um, and not regarded. Like, I don't know if there's anything that I hate that's like widely loved. Well, and like, I mean, in, in our bell curve should be like way lopsided towards love it, right? Because like we're talking about what are considered to be the best made movies of all time. So like it it makes sense that I have one movie now on my list that is lower than two and a half stars and it's eight and a half. I think I I put it at three stars just because I could still see everything that it was doing. Yeah. So I put it at one and a half, but um, I am far from the lowest rating on Letterboxd. I checked out some of the Letterboxd reviews to make sure I wasn't alone. Hmm. Um. But uh, there's also nobody in my friend, the people that I follow, which is pretty much just the Sif Pop people, that like gave it more than four stars. Oh, so. well, I follow 184 people, so there were lots of reviews on there, like lots of raving about it. Yeah. Was there was there lots of not raving about it? I really didn't see it out of the people that I follow. Mm. 
Yeah, I just looked up like the public reviews, the top rated ones, and of course, the top rated one is a half star review, and it says found the other half. Um, oh, <laughs> so, um, yeah, like, yeah. Anyway, uh, we can start talking about Sunset Wait, Boulevard. Why Let's is it that. called eight and a half? Eight and a half uh, millimeter. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yep. Uh, oh, that was easy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Super meta. <laughs> um. Yeah, uh, let's start talking about Sunset Boulevard. Uh, this is a 1950 film. Uh, you can make uh, or you can check out by streaming on Prime or Paramount Plus. Um, either one of those works, or you can buy it. All that synopsis for this movie is a screenwriter develops a dangerous relationship with a faded film star determined to make a triumphant return. Uh, lots more reasons why this would be considered a goat. Um, this has an 8.4 on IMDb, cons- making it the 60th highest rated film of all time. Um, this has a 99% on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, this won three Oscars, uh, writing, story, and screenplay, art and set decoration, black and white, and music, scoring, comedy, drama. Uh, this had Oscar nominations for lead actor William Holden, lead actress Gloria Swanson, supporting actor Eric Von Stroheim. Stroheim, I hope I got that right. Um, supporting actress Nancy Olsen, director Billy Wilder, cinematography, film editing, and best picture. Um, this uh, won uh, the National Board of Review the year it came out for best film, which of course also puts it in top 10 films that year, and best actress Gloria Swanson. <laughs> This was preserved in the National Film Registry in 1989, which was in the first group of 25 films that they selected for the Library of Congress. So that's certainly an important achievement. Uh, and I thought these two were fun. These aren't necessarily like things that would make, make it go. So I thought these were both fun. Um, Rotten Tomatoes consensus said it's arguably the best movie made about Hollywood. I mean, I guess that would categorize it, but I just love the way that time summarizes this movie. It says Hollywood at its worst, told by Hollywood at its best. Um, mm. I thought it was just perfect. So that's yeah. not really a reason why it's a goat, but it's I included it. Summary of it. Yeah. Um, in 2002, this was ranked 87th on top 100 central films of all time by National Society of Film Critics. Uh, the Writers Guild of America in 2017 declared this the seventh greatest screenplay of all time. And of course, AFI. In 1998, 100 Years, 100 Movies, number 12. In 2005, 100 Years, 100 Movie Quotes. Two winners here. Number seven for All Right, Mr. DeMille. I'm ready for my close-up. And I am big. It's the pictures that got small was number 24. In the line about the pound. In the line about the pound was, yeah, sure, was nominated (laughs) Uh, by by Sif Pop Writers Room. In 2005, this was uh, 100 Years, 100 Film Scores, number 16. That was kind of shocking because I don't actually recall remembering the score that much. Um, yeah, I'll agree with you there. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure, maybe it's like great to listen to that song or maybe it's just not what I was noticing because there's a lot of going on. Uh, a lot of other things to focus on. And in 2007, the 10th year anniversary, 100 Years, 100 Movies, this was ranked 16, so it dropped by four. All right. Uh, I'll start, Robert. I was excited to see this movie because I've never seen a Billy, Billy Wilder movie, um, and he's widely considered one of the goats, uh, writer directors uh, of Hollywood, especially of old Hollywood. Um, so, really excited to see this. Uh, That's probably the main main thing I was excited about. I'd never seen it before. Um, I had seen it once, and I liked it a lot. And I wanted to watch it again because I wanted to talk about it. Sweet. Well, let's get into it. Uh, you said you liked it the once. Do you like it now? Do you like it, love it, hate it, dislike it, or think it's just okay? Yeah, I'm still high side of like it on this. 
Okay. Maybe low side of love. I was on the high side of like it until the final act. And then that put me into the love it category. So I'm oh, not no. like firmly in love. I'm not like in super loved. I'm in definitely the low side of loved it though. Sure. So we're about the same probably. Yeah. Which is good. Uh, it'll be a very interesting conversation. Uh, all right. What'd you like about it? Um, let's just, I guess I'll start off with just like, uh, how serious it feels like a lot mm-hmm. of this is what 1950 a lot of 50 like late 40s early 50s movies still feel very like his girl friday ish or arsenic and old like lace ish mm-hmm. where it's just like very whimsical yeah. um philadelphia is, story uh bringing home baby like that this is kind of like a delicate balance because this is this is not his girl friday but this is also not citizen kane um, no, right. It, but the ending is very is like very dark. So, sure. yeah. So I I just like its kind of realism and groundedness, um, which I you don't get from a lot of older movies. At least the ones that I've watched. I don't want to make generalizations and have film snobs yell at me. But um, the ones that I've watched, I haven't gotten this sort of feeling. And this one kind of felt like, oh wow, you can make something that feels influenced by noir like it's not mm-hmm. maltese falcon humphrey humphrey bogarty but it's still got like the consistent narration um and solving a mystery and that sort of thing um so i just i just like the feel of it all, all that's to say is i like its feel and its tone yeah um yeah and aside from that i mean there's a really intriguing story here mm-hmm. um that i feel like is the basis for a lot of things but like you know like a lot of those like um lonely captive tries to seduce other person like um i don't know you can you can i'm sure this is the basis for a lot of films um or this this was the inspiration for a lot of those kind of films Mm -hmm. um and i'm sure it's in in a lot of ways inspired a lot of other films um you know including things like you know mank and uh the artist and uh, like you can just kind of see a lot of these modern movies that are made about old hollywood like you can just see the traces of Sunset Boulevard in them. Um, I'll, I'll start. I'll start on, kind of like a, on a negative. Actually, um, I was expecting more uh, because Billy Wilder is notoriously one of the best screenplay writers of all time, and I was expecting like, especially because I know some of the like noir that he does is a little bit more like fast paced or like super suspenseful or like quick and witty. So I was expecting like Aaron Sorkin's Sunset Boulevard, <laughs> and. It, it kind of just felt like underwhelming. Like, and I don't know, since this is the first Wilder I've seen, like maybe, maybe I was just expecting too much. Um, but like, it, it's, it, it's, I'm sure it's great. I, I just was expecting to be just blown away. Right. Does See, that make sense? I guess, but I guess I was blown away by like the takedown of the Hollywood myth from inside of Hollywood. Um, mm. I think that's what makes it so great is it's uh, thematic work. Yeah. I mean, structurally, I think it's incredible, but I just like, I don't know, maybe like more in the moment, maybe more, maybe more of those like little moments. Like, you know, when you go back and think of Moneyball, all the little touches that make Moneyball screenplay so excellent or, you know, the, the trial of Chicago seven or Molly's yeah, saying all these Sorkin ones. Um, so how about like Shaun of the dead, like something that makes that such an incredible screenplay. Like, um, well, or, all of those uh, are very different genre wise than yeah this is like those are supposed to be 
fast paced and snappy. Um, yeah, and I, and I just thought I just thought that that's what Wilder was supposed to be. And I, have you seen any other Billy Wilder movies? No, because I have all these G dang streaming services, and none of them have the movies I want. <laughs> yeah, it's fair. Um, yeah, I, I own Double Indemnity. I just haven't seen it yet. Okay. Um, but I'm like, I'm more excited to see it now. Yeah, like I want to watch that in the apartment, but I don't know where they are. I also own the apartment. I can send some screen passes your way. Uh, maybe when I'm in the mood to watch them, I'll message you send, about that. Because Send me a DM. I'll send you a yeah. screen pass on movies anyway. Well, perfect. Well, that's a uh, problem. Um, I, think, I think those are the, are the only two that I have. Cool. Uh, so, uh, but like, yeah, I just, I just don't know what to expect because like I have seen the Maltese Falcon. Mm-hmm. Um, it was like five years ago, seven years ago, whatever, when I was in college. Um, and like, that is a very impressive screenplay. Uh, I was just expecting, um, something more along those lines. Um, it, I don't know, like maybe just felt, sl- I, don't know, I thought he was the inspiration for a lot of that snappy quick wittedness because even like you look at like his girl Friday and like that's snappy and quick witty. And mm-hmm. I, I just thought that's what we were getting into at least like, at least for some scenes, it just felt like, man, I don't need to talk about it. It's just, I don't know. I, I was kind of underwhelmed, but it's probably my expectations were way too high. I was going to say, sounds like a you thing where yep. you had the wrong impression of what wild was for whatever reason. Um, yeah. Uh, I like the American beauty-ish and, or opening where it's like, oh, look, it's a dead a dead guy telling us the story of how he died. Um, I don't know if that's... <sighs> have you seen American Beauty? I don't know if that's a spoiler. Yeah, yeah. Um, I struggle with this uh, because it's my least favorite trope in Hollywood is, guess how I got here? Yeah. Because, like, it takes out all the suspense of, like, all right, so our main character is going to end up dead at the end of this, right? It's the same thing, like, when you watch The Great Gatsby and Gatsby is dead in the pool at the beginning. Hmm. Like... Uh, it's just like, okay, now I'm interested in how we got there, but I personally think I'm more invested in this movie. If I don't know, he's going to die at the end because as soon as she mentions, I've got a revolver. All right. So she's going to kill him and that's how this movie's going to end. I think it helps set the tone because I don't mean sure. to, to, uh, crap all over in the Heights again, but <laughs> when we finished that movie, I watched it with my wife, we were like, so what was the point of saying how many days until the blackout? Like there's no point in saying that because it didn't change anything other than be like, Oh, there's a blackout I was talking about, but here um, in, in this, like, you know, something is going on from the very beginning, you know, someone's going to end up dead in the pool. And uh, right from the very beginning, the imagery of that is the whole movie's theme. Like mm-hmm. the pool represents Hollywood and mm-hmm. trying to make it big and look where you're going to end up if you make it there. Um, you're either you're either going to be the dead guy in the pool or you're going to be the psychopath right. that killed him. Right. So I just like the mystique because I agree with you. Sometimes like Nolan does it a lot where he opens it on like the shot of the hats and the prestige or opens it on the yeah. beach scene in Inception. Mm-hmm. Um Kinda- well, but but I think there's still an element of a mystery of like I have no idea what is going on in the opening beach scene in Inception. Sure. Like and and when you do, when he does the opening of the hat or the hats and the prestige, like you still like I I don't really know what's going on. But like as you go through, you get context clues to help fill you in on how you get to the end, as opposed to just like if Inception or if uh, um, 
let's see if inception were to open on like well, inception is a bad example for this because if you show the ending of that movie it's still ambiguous at the end mm-hmm. um but if you if you show the if you show the ending of the prestige at the beginning um yeah I, actually gosh no one's such a bad example of this because like because like you could show christian bale getting hanged at the end of the prestige which i don't think he's shown in the movie getting hanged but like it's implied he is shortly after so like you could show that mm-hmm. and it would make the movie much better um but My whole like point I, is that it just kind of sets the tone from the beginning. Um, like, I, yeah, I guess. In the like, Nolan movies, it's mystery. Here in Sunset Boulevard, it's like <laughs> darkness. Um, so I, I, I like it. That's all. I think this is a. I think this is a good version of of doing that. Like, I think one of the worst examples is like Limitless. I remember did this. Bet you're wondering how I got here. Kind of, mm. kind of situations. And like, I, I think it's a terrible trope that movies need to stop doing. Um, but I think if it's done really well, like Inception, The Prestige, or y- yes, even Sunset Boulevard here, it's 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 better. I just I'm wondering if I like the movie better, not knowing the end of this movie is, is going to be our main character dead in the pool. Yeah, I think like I think I, th- I think the character has a lot more different paths he could take, and you're like wondering like. Maybe he's the crazy psycho at the end or like it and like and like what's his relationship with this other girl going to look like, you know, or like, is he going to be held captive like, you know, in misery, like by um, Gloria Swanson's character, Norma, Norma Desmond. Desmond, because I think she's the one we're supposed to invest in or at least learn from. Um, yeah. So it's not like because you don't know what her ending is going to be until right. the end. So by having him dead in the pool at the beginning, you're like, all right, he's going to die. But then he's kind of used as a vehicle to tell a story about her. Um, All right. I think you've just explained why I think I'm okay with it in this circumstance. And it's because the movie isn't isn't about the main male character. Right. He's 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 the main character. Right. Yeah. but he's the vehicle, so it doesn't really matter what happens to me at the end because we it doesn't matter. We're concerned about what happens to the group. Okay. Mm-hmm. I, I think you've just helped me explain why I didn't mind it this time. I just – okay. I, I'm more okay with it now. I just didn't necessarily love it in the moment, but I – okay. I do now. If the opening was her shooting him and him falling into the pool, like if it had backed up about 30 seconds, right, That that would be like, all right, then what's the point in investing? What am I supposed to do? But – Right. Right. And you works. can't and you can't have this ending scene, you know, the actual ending scene be that because you'd be like, what is going on? Right. Uh, and it would completely kill what ma- that is. Uh, that is one of my new favorite scenes in film history. The um, closing of this. Yeah. The closing of this where where uh, where they fade to black after she shoots him and then they open up and she's like in her own dressing room in her house mm-hmm. and the police are asking her all these questions and like, you know, she just murdered this guy. And then she's just waiting for the cameras. And then she, she thinks act- she's getting ready to go on set. She thinks she's ready to go on set. And it's like the psychological like journey that we had to get there. And like Gloria Swanson just kills it, especially mm-hmm. in that scene. And and this is where the screenplay really shines, you know, with those 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 marks. And I mean, this is where I mean the, the actor that plays Max too, I mean, he's incredible right here. Um and, and 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 that last line, that killer line, because I remember um, seeing the AFI quotes because I did all of our like history 
of the film, um, like between these two films. And uh, like I did it this morning before, or last night after I finished eight and a half. And like I saw the, all right, Mr. Deville, I'm, uh, Mr. Deville, I'm ready for my close up. And I was like, I don't remember that. And then it's like, oh, this mm-hmm. is it. <laughs> yeah, buddy. <laughs> so, what? All right, because because there's just the other the other quote here. Um, I am big. It's the pictures that got small, and like that's. <laughs> I'm kind of reminded right now. I was binging Ted Lasso last night because Ted Lasso season two starts today, and just re binging season one. And there's this moment where where he goes, uh, uh, where they go up to one of these characters who's just completely egocentrical, and he goes, uh, they they ask him, "Would you rather be a lion or a panda?" He's like. I'm me. Why would I want to be anything besides me? And he looks at me and he's like, I don't think you have any idea how psychologically healthy that is. Like, <laughs> it's such a funny moment. Like, man, the complete opposite here. Um, but anyway, this is going to sound like a total side check. What's with the monkey? So, Did we ever get an explanation well, for why she has a dead monkey? I You... <laughs> This is funny because you and I have talked about movies together enough that I was watching the monkey scene this time. I was like, he's going to have a problem with the monkey because it doesn't come back around. I don't have a problem with the monkey. I'm just like, what's with it? What's with the monkey? So you were just talking about the, uh, the it's the big, it's the pictures that got small, you know, uh-huh. that's total ego, right? Yeah. So yeah, yeah. this is just a, a note I wrote down at some point during the movie and is, Self-absorbed celebrities are wackos who have funerals for monkeys. So that's <laughs> fair. Like I think like, that I, that's it. She's just eccentric. She had. A, it's just another way to introduce just how over the top okay. she is. I just like I don't. I didn't have a problem with it. I was just like, I, I just I just didn't understand it. So yeah, I mean, people that own own monkeys are extra. Got it. Right. Because the only people that have ever owned monkeys in their life are. Um, this character and Ross from Friends. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Anyway, we're going to talk about Friends. I don't like that shit. Um, it's just, again, talking about famous people and how she has a movie theater in her living room. Um, and she has pictures of herself all over the place. The floors are perfect. Like he's saying to, mm-hmm. uh, no, what's her name? Is it Betty? Yeah. Betty or Betsy. One of the two. The, the other screenwriter. You know, he's just like, at that point, he's done with Norma, but he's like, look at all this. Um, so I, I just love it. Love the movie. I guess there we go. I, I love the movie. I love it because of one, a mix, or I love it because of a mix between how good the story is and just like you're into it the entire time. Mm-hmm. And then just how great the themes are and how, um, how, I don't know a good word for this, how Hollywood takedowny it is from inside mm-hmm. of Hollywood. Mm-hmm. And, this is before, like, way before big time celebrity culture became a thing, and before tabloids, and you know, like before you got to know every detail of a celebrity's life. Like, mm-hmm. it just feels prescient. How would how would she feel? I hate, hate to say this, but how would it, how would this work as a updated story taking place in the modern world? I think it would be very similar. Just like her head would be even bigger. Right. Well, and it's, it's like that same, like, look how much society has like changed and not necessarily for the better. If Florence Pugh were to retire right now, she would not live in an abandoned house in 20 years because people would still be like, Hey, you had like a real shot. Like you were huge. Like people would constantly be calling her like, are you sure you're done? Mm -hmm. Like there wouldn't be the possibility uh, of that. Like, so, uh, or maybe, 
I don't know. Like, I think Florence Pugh is there, but like, I think we're supposed to believe this person was like Meryl Streep levels. This Norma Desmond. Right. And it's another one like, um, singing in the rain that Mm -hmm. deals with the, the shift from silent movies to talkies Mm -hmm. because, and the artist. Yeah. Um, I don't know, even though I don't, I've not seen a lot of silent movies after I've seen all three of those and I really like all three of them. I just think it's a, it's a good device to uh, talk about someone not being able to accept change and uh, being stuck in their ways. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Gosh, I, I love movies like this and I I definitely hope we get more. Like I want to like make so bad. I just don't know. Like, but like, I want more movies about like old Hollywood. Sorry, like, it feels like we're finally distanced enough. We can finally learn from ourselves because, like, you know, I, I think the artist is a great example of mm-hmm. dealing with very similar things that Sunset Boulevard is. It's just significantly more lighthearted. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah. Um. It, I also, I feel like this movie had a couple like twists and turns that weren't necessarily like. It just felt like, oh, this movie's trying to be twisty for twist reasons, like revealing that the butler was her first husband. It's like, okay, does that change anything? I think that probably has something to do with just the allure of celebrity. Um, Sure. Maybe he he doesn't want to get away from it. He's never been able to get away from it. Uh, Just (laughs) they're kind of feeding off each other, right? The butler and Norma, he gets the... He gets to be near someone who was at the top and she gets to feel like she's still special by having him, you know, write the fan mail and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. I just, I, I just, that twist came and I was just like, okay, like this isn't a game changer. Like, I don't know how much it changes things. Maybe, you know, upon further retrospection or maybe like watching it, but I already assumed that the Butler had some sort of, past relationship with her in some capacity because of the nature of this Norma Desmond character. Does it need to be a game changer though? Like can't just reveal more about the characters? Uh, not necessarily. I just feel like the movie tried to play it off as a game changer. Gotcha. Um, no, but no, it doesn't have to be. It could just be a revelation further into the psyche. But yeah. I, I feel like the way that the movie was set up kind of, you know, dramatic music plays and they spend a, an uh, exposition scene talking about things. So, uh, I really like the cinematography in this. Um, yeah, it's not like flashy camera movements, but the blocking is great. Like, there's one, the one scene where it really stood out to me was when the main character and Betty slash Betsy are writing late at night, and the shot is from outside, like that little office that they're in, and he's standing like holding coffee or something being framed by the door. And then she's to the right um, sitting at the desk typing and then they get up and switch and there's, they, they switch who's being framed by what Um, I like the look of it and the the meaning of it. So yeah, that's just one little example. And it, it may be more acutely aware of the rest of the way. And it's just does little stuff like that the whole way through. Yeah. Which is, I think part of the reason why, people recognize Billy Wilder as one of the best directors of all time. Um, Cause he's not just clever in his stories and screenplay, but like, yeah, he's, 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 he's clever at blocking and he's clever at like making sure. Like, I, I think the pool is placed at the perfect area because I was thinking like right before the big climax, like 
I was I had completely forgotten about the pool thing, and then I was like, oh wait, that's right. He ends up dead in the pool at the end. Like, but but I feel like that touch of showing the empty pool with the rats in it at the beginning yeah. was both symbolic and metaphorical for what was gonna happen, um, and uh, you know that everything comes to this pool to die, um, in the pool representing Hollywood, right? Yeah. Um, but like I, it was, it was just soon enough that like I remembered the pool and I was like, oh okay, like we're really going for this. And then it's just not mentioned until until he's showing her around the house and he's like, and here's the pool. If you ever want to come back for a swim, come do it. Mm-hmm. So come swim at the murder pool. <laughs> yeah. Um, gosh, I, I like really like it. I just I'm I'm having, I'm having trouble just say anything else i I thought it was gonna be a little bit quick like funnier too i thought it was gonna have more funny moments um but like i don't know why i expected that like maybe just because the movie kind of starts off in a and having some of those quippy one-liners or maybe i was expecting arsenic and old lace first half and citizen kane second half it's kind of shenanigan-y at the beginning where like yeah he sends the two guys off the wrong way when the car is actually parked out back and right she comes in and says yeah i didn't like that screenplay who wrote it and he's like oh that was me you know that there's yeah. some stuff at the beginning well and even like the conversation with his agent and the golf course yeah that too kind of like that yeah um yeah uh this is a goat for me for sure yeah me too i like it it's good i would i was honestly kind of surprised that this isn't already in the criterion collection um feels like a shoe in yeah but uh i think there's something about the original prints were like destroyed like not intentionally but like something happened and so like they like when they restored it for dvd in 2002 like they spent a ton of money into like restoring it because they didn't have the originals whereas most criterion stuff is like they take the originals and and make it better restore them perfectly yeah um so anyway i was just kind of surprised that, that it wasn't but uh yeah this is this is for sure a goat for me um, I'll definitely be watching this more in the future. And, uh, uh, I think, I think this was like 11 on my writer's room goats list. Like I had it pretty high. Like I still really loved the movie, but that should, that should just go to say the quality of movies that we've seen so far. I have it at five. Yeah. I still had like rope above this and cinema paradiso and miracle on 34th street, arsenic and old lace. Um, quiz show seven samurai so i had it at nine overall um but like again that should go to show because i think the top 12 i've been in loved it nice cool um any any final thoughts nope good movie cool all right uh on next month on our goats episodes we're gonna be talking about fantasia and who framed roger rabbit so got some animation themes going there. Um, should be a fun time. Uh, it's just me and Robert again. We're going to have a couple other uh, writers on, but I think it's October and November. Um, and so that should be a fun time. But uh, Fantasia, the original, and Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Um, and I take it neither of these have upset our number one since you said it was at number five. And Correct. So, so uh, my favorite is still Cinema Paradiso. What is, is yours still Arsenic and Old Lace? Yeah. Okay. I couldn't remember. I know it was Miracle on 34th Street for a hot second, but... It was. Then I think I rearranged a bit. Yeah. Sweet. Well, I'm sure one of these days we'll both get upset. Uh, or we'll both... Our number ones will get upset. I mean, that's the goal, right? To keep seeing better movies, yeah. 
to keep seeing to keep seeing some of the best movies of all time and like maybe one of these days we'll both have the same number one <laughs> we might have had the same number one after rope but that was like six movies so yeah um <laughs> uh, sweet well let's move on to the b plot uh favorite movies about film or filmmakers uh, robert i also mentioned one more so we're gonna do this uh, i also thought of one more as we were talking so um we're gonna do this bec style uh Sif pop weekly style so top fives uh trump rules all that uh and then i'll yeah, I have nine honorable mentions, um, and I can breeze through those at the end. But I really do like all of my honorable mentions. Not just like, oh, that's a movie. Um, I still really like all these movies. So um, uh, we'll kick it off. Uh, you go first. What's your number five? See, most oh, – not most, but a lot of these were just like – I've seen them, and that's a good movie, but I don't want to – it doesn't feel like a top five for me. Um, so number five, I have Inglorious Bastards. Trump. Okay. For my number five, I have Tropic Thunder. Yeah, you're good. I don't really like yeah. that movie. Okay. Um, this is the only one on my top five that isn't in my like favorite movies of all time list. Um, I don't think I like this movie like as much as everybody else does, but I really like this movie. I think it's hysterical. Um, and uh, gosh, I, I'm due for a rewatch. I really love this movie. Yeah, I really was... like this movie. I'm not, I'm not quite in love at camp, I don't think. This is the first time anyone's compared Tropic Thunder to Eight and a Half, but that one is like <laughs> similar. Where I like what it's doing with like the Robert Downey Jr. character and and all that, but yep. it just wasn't very funny to me. Um, okay, number four. <laughs> should I go on to number four? Yeah, yeah, go to number four. Um, Argo. Does that count? Oh shoot, it does. Yeah, and Argo's my number four. I <laughs> yeah, that would have been either my number five or four. I didn't think about it. That was I think that was like the first time when I had a horse in the race for best picture that it actually won. And I was like, Hey, I, I know that movie. I was in my early teens, I think. And I liked it a lot. It was great. And I think I that was the first it a bunch time. of times. <laughs> I think that was the first time that I actually cared about one, what won best picture. Cause it's 2012. So I was uh, 17 at the time. And oh, uh, the year wrong. I was not quite, I was a little older than my early teens, but anyway, go ahead. Yeah, no, it was a, it was a really good year for movies. Um, you know, the, I think the only movie I would have taken over it that year would have been Looper, but I don't think Looper was nominated. So I was just like, Argo all the way, let's go. Yeah. Um, yeah, great pick. It would have for sure been, it'd probably been my number four. Because they don't technically make a movie, five. but there are filmmakers in it. So I think it, it revolves enough around the concept of filmmaking. Okay. Yeah, I would say so. Uh, and look, especially if we're going to say that my number four counts, um, this is maybe the closest to a stretch I have. Uh, I'm going to go with sinister. Oh, I've never seen it. Okay. Um, this is one of like, this is maybe my favorite. Uh, no, it's not. uh, this is one of my favorite, like straight horror movies. Uh, my preferred horror is cabin in the woods, Tucker and Dale, stuff like that. Shaun of the dead. But, uh, but like alien and the shining, I think are, are just excellent. This is on par. Um, with something like that. Um, Scott Derrickson's doing some really incredible stuff here, specifically with sound. Um, and I think this revolves enough around films because the all of the deaths of the past families are recorded on film, and film is an essential part of that. And so he's setting up a projector and watching these films and studying them. I think it revolves enough around film that I'm going to count it. Cool. Um, yeah, my number three is a movie we've talked about already, and that's Adaptation. Uh, yeah, it's great. Yeah, that would have been an honorable mention for me if I thought about it, but I didn't. I don't know why I didn't. I just didn't. <laughs> yeah. 
Charlie uh, Kaufman writing a movie about Charlie Kaufman and Charlie Kaufman's fake brother. Or real. <laughs> Uh, my number three is Cinema Paradiso. So cool. Uh, two for me is La La Land, and a lot of these I feel like I've talked about so much. Does La La Land count? Because this is what I was thinking about. Well, yeah, Emma Stone is a actress, that's right. Okay, and she goes off yeah. to make a movie, and that's like the whole right. I know. I was just thinking more like it, it's more about the mu- It's more about music because yes, you're well, absolutely right. in Los Angeles. I know. Well, and I was like, it takes place in LA and it's definitely reminiscent of old Hollywood. But and she's like, going to uh, yeah, audition right. the entire time. I know. Look, it's just been a hot second since I've seen it. And it's not the parts of the movie I remember, which is odd because the audition song is my favorite part of that movie. Hmm. Um, I don't know. It's just, you walk away thinking of the music and, and you know, the romance. I, yeah, you're right. It, it definitely counts. It would have been my number. It would have been my number two. So, yeah. Um, um, Yep. Number two is where I have Inglorious Bastards. Um, this is my favorite Tarantino. I think it's sure. mine too. Uh, and by a long shot too. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I think this is like 16 of all time for me. And I think the next one is Pulp Fiction. And that's like in the 50s, which at one point was in my top five. But that whole Bruce Willis arc, I just, just really drags it down for me. It's hmm. just weird. Uh, but I love everything about Inglorious Bastards. One of the best opening scenes of all time. One of the best closing scenes of all time. One of the best, two of the best characters of all time: Aldo Rain and uh, um, Hans Landa. And um, oh, love... that's a bingo! <laughs> I love this movie. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Which leads us to our number ones. Oh. <laughs> oh, I unless just... you wanted to say anything more about. No, I, I just realized that my number one is actually a different movie about movies by Quentin Tarantino, and that's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Okay, so then Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is not your favorite, or Inglourious Passes is not your favorite Tarantino. It, that's weird for me to think about, because it is my favorite Tarantino, but for this list, talking about okay. movies about movies, mm-hmm. um <laughs> Once upon a time in Hollywood, higher up. That doesn't make much sense, but uh, I I really liked it when I first saw it. But I've I've gotten to the point where I think I've seen it more than any other Tarantino movie. It's one that mm. I just like throwing on in the background. It's very uh, vibey. It just yeah. like doesn't have a, much of a story, but it just has that feeling um, mm-hmm. that I like hanging out in there. I like the characters. Yeah. It's it's a lot of fun. I was watching it the other day. It's a great movie. Yeah, I really like this movie. I don't know that I'm in loved it, and I don't know that I ever will be. Um, I love the last like ten minutes of this movie. Um, Anybody want fried sauerkraut? <laughs> I know a lot of people like this is their least favorite part of the movie, but I really like it. Um, it's my fa- it's my probably my second favorite part of the movie because my favorite is when Leo is talking to the little girl mm. um, on the on the set of the western. Um, that's my favorite part. Um, what? Did, how does she say it? Something like, "I'm an actor. I prefer the term actor because actress is nonsensical, or something like yeah. that." Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. No. This this was in my honorable mentions for sure. So, nice. Of course, you know my number one is going to be the Nice Guys. My favorite movie of all time. I don't. I don't, I don't know think if I've I need to that movie. Is it any? Good? I don't. I don't know that I need to explain any more about why I love this movie. So, cool. Um, and as we talked about before the show and you, you're like, Oh, it's going to be the nice guys, isn't it? And you're like, wait, it counts. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, so no surprise there. Um, you only mentioned one of my honorable mentions, which was once upon a time in Hollywood. 
Um, but as we mentioned, we went through different methods. There was one of us who Googled and one of us who looked at a catalog mm-hmm. and was like, oh, that counts. Uh, do you have any honorable mentions? I got a few. How do you want all right, why don't you go ahead and start? I'm gonna, are we going to go every other or you want me to just list them all off? Uh, we'll do every other. I'm not going to say a bunch about it. I'll just Sunset Boulevard I had on there and I, we just talked about it. So. Yeah, I mean, I don't. I typically like refrain from trying to throw on current things in that. Um, but yeah, Sunset Boulevard would have been my first honorable mention, probably. Oh, I don't have these in order. I just threw them on. Another one would be yes. Hail Caesar, if you want me to go for a different one. Yeah, for like sure. Hail Caesar. Caesar. I, that was the last one I thought about. And it was when we were talking about something about the process of filmmaking. I was like reminded of the scene where they're trying to give diction lessons to Alden and Eric Reich. <laughs> Would that it were so simple? Would yeah. that it were? Would yep. that? Yeah. Anyway, is it is it possible that this is a really underrated Cohen movie? Oh, a hundred percent. I was about to say that because for some reason people just kind of dismiss it as like, oh yeah, they did Inside Lewin Davis and then Hail Caesar. Yeah, yeah, that wasn't very good. It's like I really like Hail Caesar. I've seen it a couple it's, times. It's really good. Yeah, yeah it's a lot of fun. <laughs> I think I've only seen it the once and like the Jonah Hill character is, is my favorite part of that movie because mm-hmm. <laughs> he's just deadpan getting hit on by Scarlett Johansson. <laughs> uh, <laughs> okay. That one's um, good because it has a billion people in it. Josh Brolin, uh, Channing Tatum, George Clooney, Jonah Hill, Scarlett Johansson, mm-hmm. Alden Ehrenreich, Voldemort. Yeah. Ray Fiennes. Ray Fiennes, thank you. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, all right. I'm, I'm going to go ahead and give my one that I think is the farthest cheat, but I think it still counts. Right, uh, Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back. Oh, I've never seen a Jay and Silent Bob movies. Yeah. I mean, the it revolves around a movie being made about them. So they travel to Hollywood to stop production. That's oh, my it. gosh. What? I just thought of another one I'm going to add. All right. Go ahead. Are, are you done talking about Jay and Silent Bob? Hey, look, if, if, if I like these characters and um, I like Kevin Smith's universe and they're probably better as side characters, but I still really like this movie. It's really funny. Um, my next one should actually be at number three on my list because I just thought about it. OK. Um, and it's not a movie as much as it is a movie film. And it is <laughs> Borat, the original okay. Borat. Yeah, I guess. Because I, I thought about Borat. Does Borat count? And I was like, I yes, it is. Well, I, it, I think now thinking about it, it counts. It is I didn't the movie that they're the making. Yeah. I don't know. I'm, I'm counting well, it. It's it's meant as a, like, it's a mockumentary. And it's, but like the way that they set up really both of the movies, more so the first one than the second one, but it is meant to be, I'm making this film to go show back. Like we're seeing a film being made. Right. Um, so, yeah, I, I I think for sure the first one would count. I don't know so much about the second one, but for sure the first one. Um, now thinking about it, I didn't think about it at the time. Yeah, I'd definitely just have the first one in there, even though the second one's still really good. <laughs> yeah, and I rewatched both of them on Mo- Memorial Day of all days. But um, <laughs> I think I like the first one better. Yeah. And like, even though I like the moments of the second one better. So, but I love both of them. <laughs> uh, as do um, I. Um, okay. Uh, my next one I'm going to say is Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Another Shane Black one. Which, uh, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, it's, it's, you can tell the footsteps, the the footprints that were left for the nice guys to become Hmm. what it was. Um, 
this is still great. It's the same style, the same humor. Um, Val Kilmer and Robert Downey Jr. have great chemistry. Not not quite as great as Russell Crowe and uh, Ryan Gosling, but um, yeah, I love this movie. I'm going to do a twofer and just say Singing in the Rain and The Artist. Yep, for sure. For sure. Um, all right, then I'm going to go ahead and talk about The Disaster Artist. <laughs> yeah, I thought about it, but that's one where it's like, it doesn't deserve it for me. <laughs> I think I like it less and less each time I see it, but I still really like it. Like, mm-hmm. I think I left the theaters, like, really loving it. I think it, I think I just really like it at this point. Yeah, it's, it, it's fine. It's good enough for me. But yeah, it's honorable mention. The James know? Franco of it all. I'm, I don't really need to see it anymore. Um, mm-hmm. Briggsby Bear, you mentioned that earlier. It's not great, but it's worth mentioning. And Kyle Mooney is great in it. Um, I think it's his only, like, big movie role. Uh, he plays the son of Mark Hamill. So. It, it's really fun yeah he does cool. his signature like awkward brand of humor and it's just absolutely perfect classic um okay uh i have four more i have one more all right um that may not even count start with black bear oh i forgot about that i know right one. yeah i really like black bear um was the first one I thought of like for honorable mentions, but I, I have issues with it. It's it, but it's just, I really like it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You want to do a couple more then I'll just say my last one. Uh, scream two. <laughs> Never seen a scream movie. Uh, the first one is by far the best, but I really like the second one <clears throat> and the third, fourth one are fine too. Um, but like essentially like it's things are being repeated because they're making a movie based off of the first film like the events of the first film. And that's what sparks all the events of the second one and sparks the villain's motivation. Cause they're like, I'm going to do it all and blame the movies. And it's like, all right, that's going to work though. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Um, my last one, it's going off of the movies about film slash filmmakers. And it's the emphasis on filmmakers. And that's midnight in Paris because Owen Wilson plays a screenwriter in there. And it's, <laughs> It's about him writing a book, but he's a screenwriter. And uh, say what you will about Woody Allen and may or may not be true. I didn't watch the documentary. I haven't read up on it a lot, but this movie is incredible. Yeah, I haven't seen it. Um, Yeah. Uh, Let's see. And as far as, you know, seeing the document, like everything's biased, you know. Sure. So it's just a matter of watching it all and making your own decisions. And I just... I saw Annie Hall, and if that's supposed to be his best, and I didn't really like it, I'm just, I'm just okay, just ignoring him hmm. uh, as far as that conversation goes. Um, all right, I have two more. Uh, Teen Titans go to the movies. Surprisingly, I really like. You don't like it? I hated that. Okay, <laughs> that was one that I hated. Okay, um, I, look, I, I don't, I didn't, I, I didn't love it, but I was surprised at how much I enjoyed it. And uh, Boogie Nights. That is a good one. That's yeah. a good one. Yeah, I could have put that in there. Yeah, I watched it for the first time last week. And um, yeah, it's it's good. and But not your typical think about making a movie because it's about making different kind of movies. <laughs> yes. But it still counts. So yeah, I, I, I think all the movies I mentioned are at least worth saying. Like that's what it was like. I was surprised. I thought it was going to have just five. Mm-hmm. But then I was like, oh no, like this is 
wow like this is very specifically and i even like made sure i expanded to where it's like movies about film or filmmakers just because i wanted to be able to include like something like cinema paradiso which i don't think is it's about film but it's not about the filmmaking process which i think was the intention yeah yeah that makes sense yep but it is about a filmmaker so (laughs) all right um now we just have to do the spinoff uh i'm gonna kick us off with uh i watched the two gi joe movies as i mentioned earlier um the rise of cobra and uh retaliation and i liked rise of cobra a lot more than i remember um but i remember absolutely hating it and i liked retaliation a lot less than i remember but Mm. i remember it being a lot of fun um uh they're both middling high side of dislike and low side of okay movies um, but there are worse movies to watch, and especially if you're just looking for a fun time. So very brief spinoff. Uh, no higher praise than there are worse movies to watch. <laughs> um, yeah, there you, you could watch Eight and a Half. No, I'm just kidding. G.I. <laughs> Joe Retaliation versus Eight and a Half. Um, my spinoff. I've been watching some more Dev Patel stuff to get even more excited for the green Knight, And, uh, I mentioned it earlier, but I watched lion for the first time and it was great. It's about mm-hmm. him being lost as a child and then trying to find his way back home. I don't really want to give too much more away. If you haven't seen it, he's great. The kid that plays the younger version of him is possibly even better. Um, Nicole Kidman is sad like always. And yeah, it's a really good movie. Totally worth a watch. Yeah, this is pretty high on my watch list. So, yeah, cool. Well, on that note, uh, that's a wrap. Quick reminder: Hip Hop Writers Room is part of the Studio DNA Network. You can check out other great shows at StudioDNA.media or by searching Studio DNA in your podcast player. Uh, if you're interested in writing for Hip Pop, get in contact uh, with uh, Robert or I. Uh, if you want to send us a question to explore during the B plot, we'd greatly appreciate that. Something that you're interested in hearing our thoughts on doesn't have to be related to anything. Um, send us a question to explore during the B plot. You can email us at writersroomatsifpop.com. Uh, you can also get in contact with me on Twitter at Schweitcastle. Follow me on Letterboxd at Schweitcastle for all of my movie inf- uh, reviews, all that very basic surface-level stuff. Uh, and please don't forget to leave us a review on iTunes. It really helps out the show. Uh, but that's all the ways you can connect, connect with me and the show. Robert, what about you? Where can people go um, talk Red Sox and Lion and Dev Patel and, and Beards and all that with you? <laughs> Uh, yeah, just follow me on Twitter at underscore Rob's Thoughts or uh, find me at roberts-thoughts.com. You'll find everything that I do at one of those places. Sweet. Well, uh, as always, Robert, uh, these are some of my favorite weeks. So really appreciate me having too. you on. Thank you. Yeah. Um, we'll do it again next month. Like I said, we're talking about Fantasians and um, Who Framed Roger Rabbit. And um, next week, I'll be back with Evan. We're going to talk about a nostalgia movie. Uh, still trying to decide which exactly one that will be, but uh, really excited about the options that we have. So uh, we'll see you back here next week for nostalgia and next month for goats. Uh, in the meantime, that'll do it.